We come before you, Almighty God, because you are a God who is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And we rejoice and give thanks to you for allowing the light of the truth of the gospel to shine on us so as to redeem us and make us sons of light, daughters of light in Christ. And we do pray that as we look into your word this morning, that the light of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ might even shine brighter in illuminating our minds and our hearts and doing what has already been asked, making us different than when we came to worship. Glorify yourself. Let your light shine before us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, we have elected officials in very lofty positions of our country. They have great authority. And they, in these positions, have made an earth an oath that declared their loyalty to the U.S. Constitution. And they are given the responsibility to legislate national laws. And they have sworn by their oath to keep the national interest and defense. So help them God. That's why we as believers today are called upon to submit, to honor, to obey the laws, and to pray for our officials. However, when we examine and experience many contrary views, and conflicting actions by our representatives. We begin to detect opposing ideologies causing divisions and powerful bureaucracies of special interests undermining the very foundation of our nation, which our elected officials have sworn to preserve and to protect, so help them God. Many of them may know all about the original intent of our nation's heritage and its foundational documents. But by their actions and by their behavior, they don't believe them, nor do they practice them. They may know a lot about this country, but they are not loyalists. They do not love or serve our country or its citizenry in the manner they have presumably adopted by their oath. So help them, God. 
And the reason why I brought up this illustration is because I believe that John, in this passage that we've read this morning, is constrained by the Holy Spirit to deal with similar matters. But they're principally in the context of the church and not that of the political arena. For in John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 17, John is confronting people who are claiming that they know and that they love God, but then they go on living contrary to the ethics that God has given to us in his inspired word. And they not only do it themselves, but they persuade others to do the same. Indeed, this is a very serious matter. For those that are actually promoting this false teaching and behavior, but for the persons who are being wrongly taught. This is what the Apostle Paul said to the believers in Galatia, in Galatia 1, verses 8 and 9. He says this, But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. The word there is anathema. The judgment of God is to fall on them. He goes on in verse 9 and he says, once again, as we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed, anathema. And even John, as he's inspired by the Spirit to give us the the book of Revelation. He warns us very carefully about these false teachers. And he says in chapter 22, verses 18 and verse 19, he warns those who add to the book that is written or who take away from the book that is written. Those who add to it, God says he's going to add the plagues on them. Those who take away from it, God's going to take away their part of the tree of life and from the holy city, meaning they are not going to be living in glory. It's a serious matter. So how are we to have assurance that we truly know and love God and are in genuine fellowship with God? I believe John gives us some key answers in chapter 2 of his letter. Notice what he says here in verses 3 through 6. The opening statement there in verse 3 is this. By this we know that we have come to know God if we keep his commandments. Do you say that you know God? Are you keeping his word? 
Paul, uh, John is saying very clearly here, if we say that we have come to know God, the proof of it is that we keep His commandments. Today, I think more so than ever before in the history of the church, there is a major contradiction of thinking on this point. How can anyone divide the knowledge of God and fellowship with God from obeying God's commandments? When Jesus was questioned by one of the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 22, we read this question. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus answers him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says this, On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And yet the Pharisee that was coming up and asking this question of Jesus, it wasn't so that he could learn it or so that he could keep those commandments. It was just to test him. That was the reason why he came up and asked Jesus. And oftentimes... People can pursue the knowledge of God and think that they have fellowship with God, but they have no intention of keeping God's word. Let me ask you, are we at fault by separating this faith quest to know and love God from doing what God commands us? I sure hope not. And yet the evidence is proven in our society today, even among Christians in the church, by the way they do not keep God's word. John says here in verse 3 that the true assurance of us truly knowing God is when we keep His commandments. And since we saw last week that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all, then God's commandments are commandments to live in the light. So believers, if they want to have real fellowship with God... They must live out their new life in keeping his word. In other words, there should be evidence in each one who is a believer today a habitual obedience to what God commands. Because this is what constitutes, if you will, genuine fellowship with God. No one knows, no one loves, no one has fellowship with God if he by faith does not strive to obey God's Word. 
Look at verse 4. If anyone says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments, what does John say? He's a liar. And the truth is not in him. But see the flip side of this coin in verses 5 and 6 because John makes it very clear. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. Amen. So what does this say for believers who do not want to know God's word? who are just content with being saved by Jesus. Do you know that the gospel is more than just conversion? The gospel is the gift of eternal life and living in eternal life by the grace of God through the instruction and teaching of the Holy Spirit that indwells us so that we can walk in newness of life. It's not just a conversion, though that must be so. Genuine fellowship with God, the God of light, requires believers to obey his word. And it's believers who are living in obedience to God's word that have that assurance because, as John says here, the love of God has been perfected in him. In the Gospel of John, these were Jesus' words in John 14. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then in verse 23, he says this, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Why must this be so? Well, we know from last week that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Because it is that genuine fellowship with God comes through the Holy Spirit that indwells us, who is continually sanctifying us and growing us in our faith so that we do obey God. So we come to know him more deeply to find and explore the depth, the width, the height the, of the love of God so that we can worship him in spirit and in truth and serve God as his redeemed children. And so we, by God's grace, can abide in Christ and him in us that we can become imitators of God as beloved children, 
and so that we can bear fruit, as he says here, so that we can walk in the same manner as he walked. Turn with me to the second letter of first of the epistles, Second John, and notice how this theme is picked up in this letter as well. Beginning at verse 4, John writes, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. And now I ask you, lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love. This is love, that we walk according to what? His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. The true test of whether we have a genuine relationship and fellowship with the God of light is whether or not we are walking according to his precepts, his moral precepts in this world. But there's a second test that he brings out here, and it's found in verses 7 through verse 11. And I call it the love test. Notice what he says here. Beloved, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you've heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The commandment of God is the same here. What makes the old commandment into the new commandment is Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ has fulfilled all of the commandments of God when he lived on this earth as a man. He perfectly loved. He perfectly abided with God and man. He obeyed God in every way. He came not to do his own will, but the will of him who sent him and to accomplish his work. He served God, his Father, in the power of the Holy Spirit as God's Son incarnate. And we, by faith in Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, we have our sins atoned for God's justice is fully satisfied. His righteousness has been imputed to our account. But also, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Beloved, our citizenship is in heaven. Our family is God's family. We are to live in newness of life by obeying God's word. In this way, as believers in Christ, what is and was true of Jesus 
is to be true, become true in us. Why? Well, he tells us here. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Well, the obvious question is this then. How does the true light of genuine fellowship in love with God through Christ manifest itself in us as believers? Remember Jesus' words to his disciples there in John 13, verses 34 and 35? You'll know it once I start it. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Therefore, verse 9, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. One of the great manifestations of walking in the light and being in fellowship with God and showing that we are following God by obeying his word is that we will love one another as he has loved us. My wife would be the first to tell you that there are times in our 39 years of marriage that I wasn't very lovable. Does that mean that she doesn't love me anymore? She may feel it. But she still loves me despite all my shortcomings. That's because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. It's a love that goes beyond what am I getting out of this to what I'm giving to it. And unfortunately today in Christian circles, as as it goes for marriage, we are very selfish and self-centered in our marriages. And for you young people that are here today, you better take some notes of these older people that have been married for 40, 50 years. Because it was not a cakewalk. It was tough. It was demanding. It involved a lot of commitment. And it's no different than what our love relationship with Christ is to be as his bride. We're to love one another. Because all relationships in life matter to God. And we as believers are to reflect the light of that genuine fellowship that we have with God by loving and forgiving 
one another. There is no room in a believer's heart for an attitude of hatred. For not caring for another person. And if you and I hold hatred in our hearts, John teaches us very clearly, we are not living in the light. But in the darkness. And we're walking in the darkness. And we're not only living it, but we're, we're traveling in the darkness. And we don't even know where we're going. Because the darkness has blinded our eyes. When Jesus was living here in the world, he was the light of the world. And he said to his disciples, walk while you have the light, so the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons, daughters of light. That's why we're admonished in other epistles like Ephesians chapter 4 to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. In verses 12 through 14, I'm running out of time. John wants to assure the believers that are reading this letter or hearing it read to them that these, these words that are strong and forceful about false teaching and about immoral living contrary to God's truth is not aimed at them. It must not be construed that those who are genuinely living for God fall into these categories. They do not. But we must realize, as Jesus said there in John 8, very clearly, you are either a child of God or you are a child of the devil. Children of God truly want to have a relationship with God, want to know God, want to walk in newness of life with God. They want the Spirit of Christ to, to guide them and direct them, knowing that their sins are forgiven. They want God's Word to abide in them so that they might go and bear much fruit. The children of the devil, they do not know nor do they walk with God. But they think and do evil things. They are spiritually dead, blind, and they carnally love this world and the things that are in this world that are so sin-laden with, with corruption. And they live in rebellion against God and His Word. And that's why John says here in verses 15 through 7, do not love the world 
nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you and I want to know and love God, we are required to live in genuine fellowship with him in light. We cannot love the world nor the things that are in the world. And John here is not talking about God's creation of the world and its, and its wonder and its beauty and even the provisions that it provides. He's not talking about that. What he's teaching us is that we should not fall in love with this fallen world system in which we are living in. Which entices us and fuels evil lust in us. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, which is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But he who does the will of God abides forever. We cannot love God and this world and its materialism. In fact, Peter warns us in his first letter, in chapter 2, verse 11, he says this, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, of what? Of this world, that you abstain from fleshly lusts that wage war against your soul. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Do you know God? Do you love God? If you say that you do, there should be habits of obedience to God's commands. No one knows, loves, or has fellowship with God unless by faith they abide in Him and walk in the same manner as He walked. Secondly, We need to know that all relationships that we come in contact with matter to God. And we as believers are to reflect the light of God in this world by loving God and by loving one another. For he who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. And finally... The devotional test. Is God first in your life? God must be first in a believer's life. His first love. The sole object of his loving affection, respect, and devotion. And be unstained 
by the lustful effects of this evil world system. It says, we do this. We do live for God and do the will of God that we live forever. It's as easy as this. It's what Jesus said to his disciples early on as he called them to himself. It's as true today as it was back then. Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. Amen.